So good morning, family. We are going to start today in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. In your pew Bible, it's 977, page 977. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll read the first 10 verses. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I'm going to start exactly where you expect me to start. Zombie movies. (laughs) That's... I mean, it's obvious. I don't know why you weren't going there. Zombie movies, they've seemed like a popular thing over the last several years, and they may be on their way out. I don't know. I'm a dad now. I don't have to keep up to date with these things. I'm firmly in the club that can wear socks and sandals, and nobody can say anything to me about it, okay? (laughs) Firmly in that club. Anyway, zombie movies, they're obviously fake, like it's not a real thing, and yet, in a spiritual sense, they may be more accurate than I think even their creators realize. In verse 1 of Ephesians here, it says, we were made alive who were once dead in our trespasses and sins. In other words, at one point, we were walking dead people. At one point, we were walking dead people, walking around in our trespasses and sins, completely unaware that we were dead and completely unaware that true life was all around us and available to us. It says in verse three that we were by nature children of wrath, not because that's what God wanted for us. That's not what he wanted for us. It wasn't his intent when he created us, but he gave us free will. He gave us free will and and our ancestors, Adam and Eve, chose death. Even though we warned them about it, that's what they chose. And so we're all born into that nature. We're all born into that oblivious zombie life, walking around dead in our trespasses and sins, headed for eternal separation from him. And this is depressing. 
and it's even a bit perplexing if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you aren't familiar with God or his plans, it can sound kind of confusing. Here's the thing though. There's a big but coming in verse four. A big but. I like big buts and I cannot lie. If you don't get that, it's a good thing. You're going to fire me now, aren't you? But God, but God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. If you are not a regular here or you weren't here last week, we've been taking the last few months to go through our mission statement, love, grow, serve. Love, grow, serve. And last week, if you were here, remember that we talked about growing in yeah, it's even past Tuesday. Good job, Jenny. It was you, right? Oh, it wasn't. Who is it? Oh, Donna. I should have known Donna. That's an inside joke. Anyway, we talked about growing in mercy, and Paul points out here in Ephesians that God is so rich in mercy, and we learned last week that we should be pursuing that as a trait. In, if, if it's a trait in God, if he's rich in it, we should be rich in it as well. But then Paul continues and he says, it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Well, what's this? I mean, aren't grace and mercy the same thing? Aren't they like, they're pretty interchangeable. I often thought they were the same thing because we use them the same way. But the truth is they are slightly different. And as we continue through our church mission statement of love, grow, serve, I thought we should talk about growing in grace because I think it's going to help us into our topic of serve. We're going into serve next week. Mickey's going to talk about it. And this is going to lead us right into that, I hope. No pressure, Mickey. So let's start by differentiating grace and mercy. There's a website I went to this week. It's called Harvest House. And there was a gentleman who put an article up on Harvest House to differentiate between grace and mercy. His name is David Chadwick. So I want to give him credit because this is not my original idea, but I thought it was a good way to differentiate the two things. So he tells this story. He was at home one day. I don't know if it's a true story. I think it is, but anyway. He says he was at home one day and his son, probably seven, eight, nine years old, he asked him to do something. And his son looked at him and very defiantly says, no, I'm not going to do that. And so his dad, surprised because he doesn't usually react that way, asked him a second time, I need you to do X, Y, Z. And his son says, no, I'm not going to do that. His dad, angry and confused, sends him to his room, which we'd probably all do because he wanted some time to figure out how he was going to handle this situation. So after a period of time, he calmed down. He went upstairs to his son's room. He opened the door to discuss how he was going to handle this and punish him. And his son's in tears in the room. And he looks up at his dad and he says, Dad, I, I don't know what came over me. I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. And his dad took him in his arms and says, well, thank you for apologizing and I forgive you. That's mercy. He did not give him the punishment that he deserved because of repentance. That's mercy. His dad then had an idea He said, wait right here. And he left and he went over to his bedroom and on the top of his dresser was his wallet and he grabbed his wallet and his wife was there and she said, what are you doing? 
And he said, well, I'm going to take our son, I don't remember his name, out for ice cream. And she had known what the situation was, and she looked at him and she goes, that's very gracious of you. That's grace. Because she went and gave him something that he didn't deserve. So mercy was forgiving him of the thing that he did deserve. Grace was then on top of that, taking it and giving him something that he didn't deserve. So that's the difference between grace and mercy. God showed us mercy when he sent Christ to be the atonement for our sin. The punishment we deserved, he didn't give us, he gave it to Christ. He took that punishment away. When we ask for forgiveness, when we repent, so we participate in mercy. But grace is going above that. Grace is going beyond that. It goes beyond relenting from the punishment we deserve, and it gives us things we don't deserve. In David's Chadwick's example that we just talked about, the example is, or the grace is, is a physical thing. It's ice cream. It's something you can t- touch, you can feel, you can see. It's a material thing. Um, God may give us material things by his grace, and I think he does every day, but I think a lot of what we're talking about when we talk about grace are, are not material things. They're things that we can't see. And besides, if he is going to give us material things, don't we really want them in heaven where they don't go away, like where they don't rust, where they don't, moth doesn't take them away? Scripture talks about that. God's gifts of grace not always, but often are spiritual and unseen in nature. They're often unseen in nature. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all the things he's done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. So he talks about, Paul talks about here eternal life. We can't see that yet. He talks about giving us faith. That's something we have, but we can't see yet. God can point to us in future ages as evidences of his grace. Well, we can't see that yet. And lastly, he says, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. I think we can see some of the things he's done for us, but I don't think we have any concept of all the things that he's probably done for us already in our lives. So grace may be hard to see and touch at times, but we can define it. We can define it. Grace is a God-given ability to do things you otherwise couldn't do or otherwise wouldn't have the strength to endure. Grace is the God-given ability to do things you otherwise couldn't do or otherwise wouldn't have the strength to endure. So things you otherwise couldn't do, we already talked about already. Having eternal life, being reconciled with God. There was no way for us to do that without him making a way for us to do that. God showed us mercy when he sent Christ to take his punishment. He showed us grace when, as verse 6 puts it, he seated us with him in the heavenly realms. He didn't have to do that. We had no way to get back to heaven and fellowship with him once Adam and Eve forced him to kick them out of the garden. And we certainly didn't deserve it. Now, by verse 8 says, by grace, through faith in Jesus, there's a way back to all the things God has in his kingdom. That's ice cream on top of the commuted punishment. 
Grace also provides for us in situations you otherwise wouldn't have the strength to endure. So think of God's grace like adrenaline. Like when there's, when you have an injury to your body, like a severe injury, your arm splits in half or whatever, your, your body releases adrenaline. Or if there's an emergency situation, I've heard stories, I don't, I've not verified them, but like there's a car rolls over a child and like a single person can pick up the car to let the child off. It's because of adrenaline. It's an unseen chemical reaction in your body that takes place that allows you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do. That's God's grace in your spiritual life. All right? That's a physical map. That's a physical picture of what God's grace is doing in your spiritual life. Second Corinthians. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. I just want to read a couple of verses. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Paul still speaking. I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding they cannot be expressed with words, things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it. Because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. And three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness. Paul three times gets on his knees, gets on his knees, which, by the way, shows us that prayer is a key to growing in grace. I woke up with a song in my head today. I thought we were going to sing. I was going to suggest it to you. Oh, oh, what peace I often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Right. All because everything to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what grace we often forfeit because we don't take things to God in prayer. Anyway, Paul three times gets on his knees and begs God to take away something that is bothering him, hindering him, and God's response is, "Mm, nah, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. My grace... Is sufficient for you. My grace is all you need. Why not take it away? Why not take it away? Like my understanding of grace must must be weak because I kind of thought it would be, hey, no problem, Paul. We're, we're going to get that out of here. Why not just take it away? Do you struggle with this like I do? I mean, wouldn't real grace just take our problems away from us? Not if that problem is producing something in us. In Paul's case here, this is humility. It's humility. The Lord is trying to keep Paul from getting too proud because of all the the powerful experiences he's had. Because all the teaching and preaching he's doing and how effective it is. He wants to keep Paul from getting too proud. So even though Paul's struggling, the Lord says, I'm going to leave this in your life. And my grace will get you through. And the reason the Lord says it is enough for Paul is because the alternative is worse. The alternative is worse. If the Lord takes this thorn away from Paul and Paul gets too proud and pride enters his life, that would be worse than him struggling with the thorn. We know this because of what happened with Satan. 
Lord already knows what happens when we get too proud of ourselves. Satan had pride and it caused him to fall away from God. And God doesn't want that for Paul and he doesn't want it for us. So he says, just rely on my grace, keep the thorn, because the alternative is worse. Rely on my grace getting you through. And Paul's thorn also teaches us that humility and grace go hand in hand, which is how we can talk about growing in grace. Because I know growing in grace is the next point. I know all my logical friends out there are looking at me and going, Bruce, how in the world, if we're going to, if, if grace is a God-given ability, if it's something God gives us and we don't have any power over it, how in the world can we grow in it? I mean, after all, didn't you just read in Ephesians that God saved you by his grace and you take, can't take credit for it? It's a gift from God. Yes, I just read that. How in the world do we grow in it? And I would say to you, well, that's very well thought out. And I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> when he said, you're going to preach on this, I'm like, well, that doesn't make much sense. The problem is there are principles that show up in Scripture that tell us how God makes the grace available to us and offers it to us in greater measure. And that's how we can grow it. And we already talked about one of those ways, prayer. But let's look at another one. Turn to James chapter 4. Turn to James chapter 4. Page 1021, if you're using your pew Bible. While you're turning there, I saw this video online once where they were, it was a spoof video. They were playing a game called Pastor Bingo. <laughs> so apparently we're up here, we say the same things a lot, and you can put them on bingo cards and try and get bingo. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I was thinking of a different game, like who's going to make the sermon this week? I like that game better. <laughs> uh, I was talking to Gwen Redkay at KFC on Wednesday night, and I said, I don't have a whole lot of direction of where I'm going. And Gwen suggested, well, what about growing in humility? And I said, that's not bad, because I just read this in James chapter 4, and what we're going to go over. And so I kind of felt like that was the Lord maybe nudging me in this direction. And then thankfully, Thursday morning, I woke up before I went to work, and he kind of gave me this outline we're going through today. But anyway, Gwen made the sermon this week. That was the point. <laughs> so all of you will make the sermon at one point. Hope that doesn't scare you away. James chapter 4, starting verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. There's your prayer. And you, when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. And you, you want what will... You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he's placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. He gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come close to God and, come, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, 
You sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. James tells us in verse 6, quoting Proverbs 3.34, he says, God gives grace generously, and then he tells you how God gives his grace out. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's how. He goes on after that to exhort us to be humble. If you want to grow in grace, if you want to see more grace in your life, then we need to pursue humility. And I'm talking about true humility, not fake humility. All right? I'm not talking about, I'm proud of how humble I am. Like the Pharisees, Jesus kind of put that out there when they would fast and they'd show everyone that they're fasting. Or they'd make long prayers in front of people. You know, so people would be like, ooh, look at that guy. No, not, not that kind of humility. And not, and not the self-degradation humility. We're not talking about just putting yourself down. That's not really humility. Neither of these is what James is talking about. If you want to understand what humility is and what James is talking about, we can look at Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege and took the humble, took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So Philippians 2 talks about Jesus being humble in two ways, obedience and service. Obedience to God, service to God and others. Notice that these are actions, not words. They're actions, not words. It's not putting yourself down. By the way, before we move on, Owen, I know you're back there. Bonus mini-sermon, buddy. For the fourth message in a row, I did not go looking for this. For the fourth message in a row, we are talking about desires. Right, Donnie? You just brought it up. What's causing quarrels and fights among you? Verse 1, desires. The things of this world. Fighting and waging war for things. This sounds familiar because we talked about it four sermons in a row. James says that these desires, which God has been bringing to our attention for two months worth of sermons now, are getting in the way of our humility, our ability to be humble, and therefore getting in the way of God's grace in our lives. So in addition to getting in the way of our mercy and getting in the way of knowing Him and getting in the way of our ability to love others, it's getting in the way of our grace and humility. We aren't able to focus on serving others in humility if we're focused on trying to get and get and get and get and get. Which leads us to verse 10, the last verse in Ephesians 2. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. The point of growing in grace is you were made for this. You were made for this. God has great things planned for you. Verse 6 in Ephesians 2 says we are united with Christ Jesus. We are one with Him. Verse 10 says we are created anew in Christ Jesus. We just read in Philippians 2 that Jesus took the humble position of servant, obedient servant. Well, guess what? If we're united with Him and we're created in Him, we should start looking like Him. We should start looking like Him. We should be able to serve. If you want to walk in grace, we need to be humble. If you want to be humble, God has work for you to do. 
Growing in grace will allow us to do the last part of our mission statement that Mickey is going to talk about next week. Serve. Now, I don't know. Guys, if you want to bring the video up, I just threw a lot of information at you. I got a cute little two-minute video. Cute is not the right word. I have a two-minute video that I found online to, to end today's sermon that kind of just sums up. It probably makes it a lot clearer than I did because it's easier to remember. But I'll let the guys show that, and then I'll just close us out afterward. I, I know what, what you're thinking. We could have just watched that today and saved about 30 minutes. Look, I can't make it any simpler than that. God's will over ours, thinking of others before ourselves. That's the path to humility, which is a way to grow in grace. And that will lead us into serving, which Mickey's going to talk to us about next week. But can I just add one thing? We've spent a lot of time breaking down Scripture today, 10 verses, to look at it super close and just examine it more. But don't miss the bigger picture here, which is about how much your Father loves you. If you're here today and you've not experienced the grace of God in your life, as you look around this room, you're not looking at people who are better than you or people who have it more together than you or people who have special abilities or attributes that are more than your own. We're just people who at one point or another recognized and told, were told that the Father loved us. We recognized him, and like the boy in the story, just apologized for doing it wrong, and then accepted a free gift that was available to us. We went out for ice cream. That's all we are. And it changed our lives. That, that, that ice cream changed our lives. I'm only here today because of that grace. And I'm telling you that that gift is available to you. Please take it. It's life-changing, and it's scary, and it's going to start you on a journey like you've never been on before, but it's so totally worth it. So if you haven't done that yet, see me afterward and talk to me about it. And if you are on that journey already, tell somebody about it. Tell somebody about it. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful I'm grateful that you gave us an example because I know when I'm talking about myself, I, I don't do it well all the time. And I'm thankful to have someone to look to to do it better. I'm thankful for you taking me out for ice cream. Um, thankful for all the things you give that I don't deserve. And I look forward to the day that we get to be with you and all this stuff will be explained that we don't understand so well. Uh, in the meantime, help us to grow in this grace. Help us remember to, to spend time in prayer and ask for it. And then teach us about true humility. To, to make it so that it's a natural part of who we are, rather than having to fight to do it. Having to fight to make it part of our mentality. Make it natural in us. Make it natural in us. And help us to show to others the grace that you've shown to us. In Jesus' name.
205. It's entitled Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Brother Bruce suggested this song, and I think it's a great song to sing. Wonderful Grace of Jesus. It's higher than the mountain, folks. It's deeper than the ocean. It reaches me. Isn't that great? It reaches me. Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Shall we sing? Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, sending my spirit Grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, precious name. Wonderful grace of standard that praise it's a high note I like to have some sopranos really hit that once get up there and really sing it let's sing the last standards wonderful grace of Jesus reaching the most divine by this transforming power making God's dear Jesus, read. 
wonderful and matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Go and do the things that he has made you to do. You're dismissed. <laughs>